What is happening? Welcome to the On The Corner Podcast. My name is Nick Pollock. We have a bonus episode today. I wasn't actually planning on doing a podcast on this mock draft at all, but then again, Ben Pernick is in the second pitcherless staff mock draft that we did. And if you don't know Ben Pernick, he is the only staffer outside of myself who has been on the team since the inception of pitcher gifts, not even pitcher list. And Ben was my roommate my junior year in college at Brandeis. He's currently in Israel, and uh, I'm just so happy to have him here today. I feel like, you know, if anyone deserves this, it's you, Ben. Ben, thanks so much for taking the time. Well, thank you, Nick. It's great to be here. Yeah. Um, and if you guys don't know, Ben has done the buy and sell article for years. It wasn't always, I think he did some prospect stuff initially the first yeah, in year. Yeah, the early good. days, it was it was some prospect stuff. But, but now you do the do the ones on Wednesdays. It's actually kind of funny when I'm in dire need of an SP Roundup hunt. I can't do it really anymore because Ben, of course, is in uh, a different time zone than I am now. But I used to say, okay, Ben, I need, a, I need a punt. And he would always have one for me. He is the only one I truly trust on staff to beat me inside of a pun off if I needed a headline. Uh, you guys would know that reading his buy and sell every week. But uh, just to reiterate everything here, we're doing the second mock draft, not the ones that were covered in all the other podcasts. And if you want to find out more information on it, go to our website. You're going to see the, the wonderful article um, written there by Ben Rosner about both mock drafts. You can see the full board there. And definitely check out the link inside the description of this podcast to get all of it. But what we're going to do in this one with, with Ben, because what I really love about Ben's style too, is you have such a good focus on uh, the middle and late of drafts, because that's what the buy and sell is. It's less about the guys at the very top. It's much more so about those ones that are like, look, we are going to chase this thing because it's really good. And this is these are the guys we're going to move on from. So uh, you all know a lot of the ones in the early rounds. We're going to speed through those. Um, but Ben, I mean, just tell people a little bit more about yourself, just like, it's just so good to see you, and I hope you're doing okay in Israel right now. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, the past week was kind of nice. Of course, now the the rockets are back, and it's like, oh, okay. Oh my gosh. But yeah, at, at this point, though, uh, the important thing is that uh, my baby is about to turn one. He's an Israeli baby, and uh, he is a very happy. Moved here uh, last February. I still have not succeeded to get Israelis to think baseball isn't boring. <laughs> which makes One me day. sad we'll but on there. the plus we'll side <laughs> i can say that i am the greatest fantasy baseball player in israel and nobody has disputed me on that so this far. is true he, you actually won the pl legacy league this past year which is the highest title that we have if you guys don't know we have eight staff leagues we have such a large staff and we realized we could have this wonderful relegation system with the top three leagues in its own tier and then uh the other five in a different one and to be in the top one, you have to win in the third, the second, and then the first, essentially, or get moved up. And Ben just won it. Um, I've won it before. That was years ago. And uh, yeah, you deserve this one this year. So congratulations on that, Ben. You will get a very special trophy um, for that. Um, but, uh, but Ben, we're going to talk about your team. And you had the number one position. So before we go into your actual team, I have two questions for you. One, I, did you select the, the one one spot on your own and now that you had it uh are you hoping to get a high or a low pick uh when you have your drafts in march so this one i did pick uh some of it was just the fact that uh when when this draft was going on was like 
I, I made a lot of these picks from the bomb shelter. So I was like, I just want ones where I can do it, do them quickly. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh <laughs> you know, and Jeez. being able to do it back to back is fun. However, strategically, I do also think that this year, Acuna. I mean, I know I heard on one of the other pitcher list pods, he's like two players in one. And it's really true. If you look at his numbers and you just take away the stolen, the stolen bases, I mean, 337, 41 homers, like 149 runs. It is just yeah. like insane numbers. And then you add the fact that, oh, he also stole 73 bases. It's like such, I'm not saying he's necessarily going to repeat that, but just the fact that, you know, he's young He and that, he has shown multiple years ability to go 40, 40 before this. I'm just like, I, I just felt that you're, you're kind of at an advantage starting with one player that's so much better, at least in my opinion, than the rest. And yeah. you kind of always are one, you know, your third round pick is before everyone else. I, I think there that's is, I, yeah. but Normally, I know that uh, Ariel Cohen has done a lot of research saying that picking in the middle uh, strategically can be the best just because mm. when you're – and I felt this at the draft. Sometimes I really felt like I had to reach for guys because I knew so many picks were going to go in between my next two picks. You know, one of the things that Ariel Cohen really taught me is it's less about like – I think we go into drafts so much about certain players and that's our guy or whatever – but what he really taught me with auction drafts, which really does apply to uh, um, to round by round drafts or snake drafts, rather, uh, is it's not necessarily about who it is, just understanding the value of each one and just getting more value than your opponents. Um, and what can happen is you at the turns, you get one that's of value and then one that's a reach, right? That's always the kind of rule is that one that fell and one that is an extension. But in the middle, you can actually just kind of always go for uh, what is value um, throughout the draft. And as long as you have an understanding of, um, you know, Ariel Cohen's whole thing about hotspots. And if you really don't know this, I'm going to force Ariel to do the amazing presentation he does for PitchCon. Because he's done it for First Pitch Arizona twice now. And it's just like, this is the best presentation and everyone needs to know it. Um, I will twist his arm. But uh, essentially with positions and what's really helpful with these mock drafts is that we can find out, okay... These are the clumps of where we can get good players at first base or third base or whatever it is. You can target that in your draft. And if you have a middle position, you can take advantage of those hotspots better uh, than you would at the first and 12. Great point about Acuna, of course. Um, the one thing I will mention, uh, I mean, I was I remember sitting next to uh, King Hippo, if you guys know him from the Pitcherless Discord. Uh, when Acuna was uh, in, in L.A., it was Acuna versus Betts. It was a great time. And I, I said, like, hey, he's going to go 40-70. And he's like, there's no chance. And this is like when he hit like his 30th or something. I was like, he's going to do it. And he did it. And that's amazing. But he did just hurt his hand. There's like a video uh, of him. Like this is just today. We're recording oh, no. this on December 1st. Well, there was a hit by pitch where he reacted and it looked like it was something like on his arm. Um, it was holding his right arm or something like that. We don't know. I'm not going to do anything stupid about it. That's four months away from now. Like five months actually is the beginning of the season. Not going to overreact to that in the slightest. He's still so very clearly 1-1 in my book. Um, we're going to move uh, into one other question. This is very important, I think, when it comes to strategy this, which I want to focus more on this podcast, is as you developed throughout the draft, I mean, did you have a certain strategy as 1-1 one, one, and did that change um, as you went on? Well, I think when it comes to the pitcher list draft specifically, I, I'm kind of torn because 
I, I always want to zig where everyone else zags. Sure. So I knew that they'd be following your list. So sometimes I tried to focus on the people who maybe were undervalued by your list, but maybe yeah, but from other experts. The wrong one because it's this is the list. This is the the correct ranking, Ben. So yes, it's the only only way. <laughs> But, so we'll uh, see that in a couple of these picks. I mean, some of these I, I do agree with a lot. So um, some of them maybe not. So those will be fun conversations. So as far as the guys you were targeting, you're saying you're you're targeting different pitchers. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to solidify my pitching earlier because I I tend to be someone who focuses more on hitters. My waiver wire is all and most of my articles are focused on hitters. So I just felt that I could if I like kind of pounded the early middle rounds, the pitching and I just didn't have to worry about it. Then I could find values for the hitters in the in the later rounds. Okay, and did you find that that uh, and as far as like positions, did you have any sort of strategy for that? You know, I, I really didn't think so much about the positions. I had heard people say, "Oh, outfield is really thin." You know, if you wait too long, I didn't personally find that to be true. Um, I do think. Well, I'll talk about it a little more later. I maybe targeted cl- closers a little too early, and if I could go mm-hmm. back, maybe I would have fixed that. But I do think that I was really pretty happy with my the values that I got on my position players, and I, I always am looking for cliffs, like when I think, yeah, things are really going to dive after this if this particular player goes off the board. So I tried to make sure when I saw those cliffs to grab those guys, especially knowing <laughs> it would be a long time till my next one. Sounds good. Uh, so uh, let's let's get to that draft. Obviously, Acuna is the first one. And you match the other one with Pete Alonso. Uh, we don't really need to spend much time on him. I mean, it's pretty obvious. He's a big bopper. You decide to get a ton of home run runs and RBI. A lot of conversations big happen. Pete with that. the polar bear. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's actually a pretty obvious pick to me. And I love that you did it, um, especially with Olsen gone and Guerrero Jr. also gone. I think, would you rather have Alonso over Guerrero Jr.? Ooh, that's a tough one. I, well, of course, that's why you asked it. I still feel like I would, I would prefer Guerrero Jr. Mm. Just because I, I think if you look at all the peripherals, I'm like, it can't stay this way where everything is screaming that he's going to be better. I mean, and Alonso, I think he. Alonso's two seventeen average is going to get much better. Well, Uh, I mean, when you look at his BABIPs for. Like in 2021, it was 274, 2022, 279, then 205. Right. You know, I tend to, last year, I got lucky banking on Isaac Paredes with probably my my closest prediction. But a big part of it was, I think the previous year, he had a very similar, just weirdly low Babbitt. But I know- What I think of is Matt Olson, Um, same kind of thing. And if you look at Hitlock, according to PLV, I- Alonso had a minus 18 hit luck. That is 18 hits that he should have had, according to PLV, that he didn't get, which is a huge boom uh, for your uh, for your average that he's missing out on. That's not even 18 points. That's like 35 points or something that he was missing. So uh, I could absolutely see that changing in the future for him. Um, but let's go to your third round instead, because I really think that's just kind of a typical thing, and that's that's cool with me. Um, you actually, three of your next four picks are all pitchers. So you start with Kevin Gosman who is your third starting pitcher off the board. So that's after, of course, Cole and Strider, who I think are always going to be one, two. Then it gets a little bit more contentious with Gosman, Burns, Castillo, Wheeler, um, Pablo Lopez, Zach Gallen. Those guys are all in the mix there. How? Wh- what made you go after Gosman here? I mean, I, I 
I could think that you thought one of those guys wouldn't be around by the time he came back next time. So you chose your favorite one. Why was that Gosman? You know, when I, when I thought at first, I really just kind of looked at a, you know, one of the other only mock drafts that had happened before this, which was like the meatball draft with Rob DiPietro and Gosman uh-huh. went third there. I was kind of just having to make a quick decision. And I just saw 237 Ks. Like that yeah, K number is really nice. So that was kind of what led me to pick him. But like looking back, I think I'd probably have preferred Wheeler or Castillo. Mm-hmm. I don't mind my decision to go for a starter in round three because I knew that all the other pitcher list guys were probably going with the strategy to wait on pitching. And uh, But I knew these guys wouldn't come back to me. Uh, but when I looked closer at him after picking him, of course, you know, then I saw, oh, actually, he he really pretty much declined in his like swinging strike rate on all pitchers, especially his splitter. I mean, it's still yes. quite good, but it's not the monster pitch that it was the previous year with like a 51 percent O swing. This era is right. just like 40 yeah. percent. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, it's still obviously, as you mentioned, a great pitch, but its strike rate went down to 57%, 58% instead of 65. And that is why you have a 4% walk rate go up to 7%. And Gosman's fastball still has a lot of bad contact. 48% ICR, which is 16th percentile of all four seamers. Essentially, when contact is made, it's generally good for the batters. Um, And that's why you still have that high Babbitt. We were all saying, oh, 364 Babbitt in 2022 for Gosman is going to get so much better and it was a 324 which meant he still had an eight hit per nine so a 180 whip at the end of the day in your 15 teamers it doesn't matter as much that whip is not as big of a of a dent um but i do think it is in 12 teamers more so and i think if you're getting a starter third overall like you gotta have a better whip than that to help you instead of hurt you so i'm away from it i found myself pushing galsman further and further down especially with this assumption that I don't know like that this this is the worst it gets kind of like no it, I think it's going to get bad uh, he's not going to recover that walk rate necessarily and uh, the the hit per nine could go up again and the ERA from 316 can go to higher numbers it just is all a little worrisome for me um, and I feel like what Wheeler does is just so much more consistent with Zach, uh, what Luis Castillo does it's more consistent I would even say Corbin Burns even in a down year did really well too so um, I would favor those um what I think is more interesting, though, I mean, everyone's going to have different opinions about Gosman. I totally understand why you picked him, uh, is that you picked two closers, round four and six. I want to talk about that specifically. Uh, and we're going to talk about your fifth round pick after. But you really had, as you mentioned, you had a regret saying I took I was too aggressive on closers. Because in ours, it was about the ninth round or so. Where I really saw like, closers go. Um, I was aggressive, I thought, when I got uh, Josh Hader. I got him in the eighth. But you got Emmanuel Classe in the fourth took a hitter in the fifth and then in the sixth was Josh Hader. Um, and in class, A had a 21% K rate um, this past year, not nearly the explosive reliever as we wanted in the past, but of course, 44 saves are still there. Um, are you expecting a bounce back from class? A? I really am. I mean, as far as the strikeout rate, not great, Bob, but yeah. I, uh, 44 saves, you know, it's, I think the reason is, uh, because he just got such a big percentage of the team saves, 94%. I mean, only, and this is kind of why I thought maybe I would target it. Cause the one thing, when I say I regret taking the closers so early, it's sort of like when you're doing fab 
in a league and you have a bid that you think is good and then you see everyone way underbid you, I should have just known from doing previous pitcher list mocks that people tend to wait. There's like this game that they play with closer being like, where well, I'm not going to take one, you're not going to take one. And then finally, at some point, the dam breaks and everyone takes their closers. And uh, I think in, in my case, if you look at like some other leagues, it's not ridiculously early uh, compared to like his, if you're looking at an NFBC ADP. Right. It's but, a little different, of course, than 15 teamers. Oh, right. And NFBC, there's no trading. It's That's a lot also true, which to, does. To spend and get closers on the wire in season. And um, especially if you're going for the main event, you have to be competitive in that well. And a head league, well, it's not as important week to week just to win that one category. Um, so they generally do get more depressed in your 12 teamers head head leagues. Um, if this is a roto league, I understand a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, no, it, I, I still think it was a team. bad pick, especially when I looked later and I'm like, ah, Devin Williams, like as far as his sure. actual stats, they weren't like what you'd normally expect for the top closer, like pure dominance. Mm-hmm. But I just believe with his age and the fact that he was his slider had been so good and then this year just like weirdly disappeared, but he still throws really hard and there weren't injury issues as far as we know so much. I'm, I'm just optimistic. He figures out something mechanical in the off season and goes back to being somewhere halfway in between where he was in 2020. Yeah. I mean, the samples of relievers are also so weird. Uh, it was 72 innings and that's that actually same number of innings as he had in 2022 on the dots, 2072 72.2. For Class A, um, one thing other to note is closers, there are a lot more of them this year, at least it was last year. Just this is the closer and we have more clarity, I think, entering 2024 than we usually do um, with closers. That is so true. That, I think also is depressing the value a little bit uh, generally. And of course, there was Hater in the sixth round. After getting Class A, uh, what made you go with a second one in the sixth well, there were only, like I said, there were only um, a few players who had more than 80% of saves. There was like Bednar who had 83. And then the next highest, well, above him was 92%. That was Hater. So I just felt I want to target the guys who I actually know won't be sharing saves with other relievers. And I mean, after taking Class A, I was like, okay, well, his stats with a 128 ERA, 110 whip, you know, those look pretty good now in the sixth round. But it yeah, may have just been doubling down on a mistake I already made. Sort of <laughs> like when I decided to buy more Bitcoin when it started to fall. And then it oh, kept no, falling. Oh, no, Ben, you did not. Fall. You're just making the joke. <laughs> uh, but uh, 25% swing strike rate for a hater slider last year. It's still just so dang good. The strike rate on it was a little bit lower. so a little less consistent. He missed it up in the arm side a bit too often. Um, but the sinker still just overpowers um, 14%. It's one of those weird sinkers. It really isn't a sinker. Um, it's just a lefty un- riser. It's it's kind of strange in this way. Um, and batters still struggle. It's about 30% ICR, which is just so good. 22% ICR on the on the slider. Uh, to me, that, if you guys, again, don't understand, ICR to me is just the better, uh, the best version of how is it on contact. Um, and it's really strikes versus ICR. And that's what matters. So... I understand it. Um, again, you already talked enough about this. So sandwiched was CJ Abrams. It was, it was an interesting pick here. This is um, after Witt, Lindor, Seager, uh, Trey Turner, Bo Bichette, and Matt McClain have all gone as shortstops. I believe Gunnar Henderson may have as well. Um, yes, there he is in the third round as another shortstop eligible uh, player. 
you took CJ Abrams. Why Abrams? I know he had a ton of stolen bases. You got 73 with Acuna. That is true. Uh, however, I wanted more, but I think part of this, <laughs> part of this was me believing that I could find power and average later on in the draft. And I do think I succeeded in that. Um, but speed, I wanted to get players that I think can do more than, you know, like I trusted in their playing time. I made too many last year trying to get guys like Bubba Thompson and John Birdie to try to shore up speed sure. late because I didn't address it early. But mm. Abrams, I think everyone's just looking at the speed, but I think there's, from in my opinion, so much to get excited about. And I think not everyone's quite catching it because they see the batting average and they're like, Oh, he's he's just really a speed guy. But I mean, yeah. in the first half, he had just seven homers and 14 stolen bases. But once he went into the leadoff spot in the second half, I mean, once, really, once he started hitting leadoff, he hit 258, 11 homers, 34 stolen bases with just two caught stealings in mm. 322 plate appearances. And that's like his age 23 season. I love to see a young player who is consistently improving as opposed to starting hot and then kind of like falling apart. And uh, not only that, but like he hits the ball hard. He had 113 mile an hour max EV, a decent 7% uh, barrel rate. Well, and, and when he was a prospect, he had a 70 hit tool. So I still believe that he can find a way, even if he doesn't keep up that insane stolen base rate where, I mean, he could steal as many as Acuna at, if he steals like he stole once he started hitting leadoff and he will be probably hitting leadoff. Uh, yeah, I still the, think um, his average can go up and that maybe he can, I'm not, I don't think he's necessarily going to hit over 20 homers, but I think he can definitely do 15 to 20 again. Well, if you're using our PLV um, hitter rolling charts, which you really should, uh, they're free until the beginning of February. So through January, they're free. And then it's a PL pro only uh, tool. You'll see that CJ Abrams got way better. As you mentioned, that second half on uh, his skills as well. Um, decision value went way up. Uh, he was really around 10th percentile or worse for a long time. And then he actually kind of settled around 25th percentile, which isn't obviously the most endearing uh, stat, but it is improvement. And as long as you're trending upward, where actually by the end of the year, he was at MLB average. That means that his contact ability, which is absolutely above average, that's like 75th percentile to 90th percentile. And then the power actually came with it too. In yeah, that second half, that. Uh, he was as peaking as high as about 80th percentile, 85th percentile um, in power. So and as a leadoff Abrams, guy, you definitely want to see someone who takes a lot of walks. And sure. he had as many walks in July with nine than he had in April, May, and June combined. And then in September, mm. 12 walks. So it's definitely a sign that he's like really ready to become a prototypical leadoff. Yeah, the, um, the pitch hit ability that he got, which is also a new addition from Kyle inside of these this app, which is great, was at its... Uh, nadir, the lowest uh, um, in the beginning of the year. And that's actually when CJ Abrams' swing aggression was at its highest. But then by the end, uh, he actually settled down into MLB average, which is good. It means that he's not overextending himself um, by the end of the year, which is exactly what you want to see from him. And then strikes out in judgment, which I really do assign with uh, decision value, did get better as well as the season went on. So I am encouraged that C.J. Abrams can be more than what he was this past year. And 18 home runs, 83 runs, and 47 stolen bases, that's nothing to ignore. It is not going to be an RBI guy. You're not going to see a full across-the-board guy. But 
imagine CJ Abrams could, yeah, absolutely be like a 260, 270 average. It's not out of the question. Yeah, um, Steamer projects like, him for a 261 you know, he's, average he's next three year. years old right now. He was born in 2000. Born in 2000, Ben. Wow, he was We're born like when the SpongeBob SquarePants debut came out. Yes. So, I. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things to like here with C.J. Abrams. And I, I got to say, I kind of dig this because you went Acuna, Alonso, Abrams, and then Hassan Kim as your fourth, your second baseman here. You really are leaning into speed here a ton. Yeah, this um, was the one, I think the one pick where I was like, yeah, I may have gone overboard with the speed. Yeah, Bob Melvin being the coach for the Padres, um, Jason Clint really showed this of like, he really ups the amount of speed of her team. He really encourages stolen bases more, which would explain Kim a good amount. Now that Bob Melvin's gone, I do wonder if that's going to stick around 38 stolen bases last year for Kim. But you're saying you re- regret it. Why did you think that, you know what, maybe I should have gone somewhere else? Because what, like Glaber Torres instead? Was there another second baseman that you liked later on to replace Kim? Yeah, I guess I, I didn't really, because I saw Glaber and I was like, no, I think I'm really... My regret was maybe not going for another pitcher here because mm. I, at this point, I yeah, don't There are remember. a lot of really good ones after. There's Bobby Miller, Yuri Perez. Yeah, Bobby Miller, Miller that Valdez, was the one I wanted um, to take. Aaron Nola, all going here at Eflin before he came back to you. Um, yeah, Yuri Perez is a fun one. Bobby Miller is a really fun one, too. Uh, in the seventh round, man, I'm all over that for both of those guys. If I can get either one in the seventh round. Oh, that's yeah, beautiful. If I could do this over, I would definitely be taking Miller over Kim. Mm-hmm. I mean, because uh, as mu- I was loving with when I, everything I'm talking about with Abrams, but Kim, I mean, the one thing that he has that's sort of similar to Abrams is that he didn't get caught stealing a lot, which maybe will get keep giving him the green light. But, you know, he had nine caught stealings with 38 stolen bases. But when you look compared to Abrams or really compared to anyone, his contact rates He's, it's really weak contact. It's great to see that he's improved and he's talked about how he feels more comfortable. Very happy for him, but 236 X average, 18% hard contact. That's like 337th in the league. Yikes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he I, might I, be due I'm for some regression. I'm not quite buying into it for Kim, but it's not the worst pick I've seen. Um, and uh, I will say it's more interesting, I think, to see after we named all those pitchers' names. I mean, Musgrove, Boz, and Justin Steele went after um, as well. Then you had three pitchers in a row. So you took two back-to-back realizing that you just missed this pitcher run. And you went Jesus Lazardo and Kyle Bradish. Talk to me why those were your targets instead of, say, um, Cole Reagans, uh, Logan Gilbert, y- Yoshinibu, uh, Yamamoto. I'll admit, at, that, at this time, I didn't really know so much about Yamamoto. Reagans, I think I thought, I, I tried to get cute thinking I could get him one round later, which I should have known better after hearing you no, praise him on the podcast and also no. after him help helping me win three of my leagues. There you go. Uh, Not the legacy. I had Cole Reagan's right. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Not the legacy one, the other ones. Uh, so I think with Lazardo, I'll admit I, I tend to have an AL bias. So I didn't, I, I kind of had checked out and just remembered him being, a really great pitcher and not paying so much attention to him falling apart. Well, not falling apart, but still I do like the fact that his fastball is uh, just going up and is at uh, 97 uh, miles an hour at, at its average rate. And I, I think there have been times where the this year, the slider was seemed to be the more dominant pitch than his changeup. But mm-hmm. 
the previous year it was this changeup that was awesome. And I don't want to chase another Patrick Sandoval, but I remember it because with him, I remember always thinking if he could just get those two secondaries to be awesome at the same time. Yeah. You know, of course, Lazardo, I think, is much better, has a much better fastball than Sandoval. But I'm just, some of it was sort of just to hope that as he's maturing as a player, he'll get a little more consistency with his change up and start throwing it a little more. And that way he'll really be able to, with his dialed up fastball, uh, to be able to kind of just have two weapons to really get more strikeouts and on a team that I still kind of like to be, you know, a, a solid above average team. Right. So so the worries I have about Luzardo and I found myself actually kind of leaning away a little bit more, um, which isn't fun. Uh, there are a couple issues I'm seeing that I have. Um, I actually, if you're listening right now, um, I have my uh, Miami Marlins rotation article live on the site. Um, it is all the other rotation pieces will be just for PLP members. They are early access to them. They'll come out in February. But the Marlins one is free for everybody. And there's also a code Sandy25 to get uh, PL Pro only for uh, 25% off. Um, but Jesus Lazardo, I go into it there. There are a lot of things going against his fastball. One, uh, it is not a good extension. It's like one of the worst extensions in the majors. Uh, two, does not get induced vertical break. He gets actually more arm side break than anything on that pitch. And three, it's not a good um, uh, VAA, right? It's pretty average. So the aspects of what makes a good fastball to me, the one that I didn't mention, two I didn't mention, is velocity and location. And those are great, actually. 96-97, Luzardo's fastball. And then locations, he does a good job of doing this, the lefty seven. That is fastballs upstairs and then fastballs inside to righties. The problem is that when he doesn't get it actually there, it's a really hittable pitch despite its velocity. Um, Jesus Lazardo's uh, four-seamer, 52% ICR and a 10% swing striker, even though he has good locations on it and that velocity, it makes sense when you understand the shapes of those pitches. That concerns me a lot. Um, the slider has an amazing swing strike rate, but it got destroyed. Sixth percentile of ICR. Like this is bad. 48%. About half the time that the slider allowed contact, it was good for the batter. Like think about that for a second. And you say, well, it was a 494 Babbitt. Well, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> like that is a 500 Babbitt or a 517 Bacon. Yeah, that's pretty much what the ICR says. So not a big shock to me there. And he's got to locate that thing a lot better moving forward. The changeup is obviously the the real breadwinner, I think. Uh, it has been in the past 26% in uh, swing strike rate in 2022. It took a small step back um, in strike rate and in swing strike rate this past year. Um, but it does not allow uh, a lot of punishment. Only 28% ICR. So it's a weird year. It, he had this gap in... Um, in August, and I can't tell you how many times Fast texted me about how uh, Luzardo was doing poorly then. I, uh, but so I like him and I don't, and I see the twenty-eight percent K rate, and it's so tempting. There's also the question of hundred and seventy-nine innings, and that is far and away the most he's ever thrown. I think he made a really good point saying, like, yeah, is this just something that we shouldn't be chasing? And he's never, you know, it feels like the one twenty whip seems right, and the ERA could be worse, and. Yeah, it could be a hipster, right? Headache-inducing pitcher stifling the entire roster. So I think I'm going to be having Luzardo a bit lower in my ranks than I did initially. Um, but 
if that slider isn't missing so much inside the zone, I mean, even with that questionable fastball, it still will be really good. So we'll see. We'll see. Now with Bradish, how are we feeling there? Well, we will see because with Lazardo, I made the pick because of your list at the time. But Did you Bradish, really? That's the funniest one. That's the one that you should not have done. Everything like, oh, I'm going to go zig and zag. And that's the one you should have ignored me. Um, and we, we got to talk about Kyle Bradish. But before we oh. do, actually, we, we need to take a quick break. We'll be back with Ben Pernick after this. All right, Ben. So it's Kyle Bradish. Bradish has been someone that I've been out on, in on, out on. I don't know where I feel. Tell me how I should feel about Kyle Bradish. You should be in on him. Why? I got the dish on <laughs> He He just... Uh, I mean, I, I kind of, I know Eno Saris was really on him from earlier on in the year saying that his stuff plus was good, but it was, it was hard to, to know because his fastball was not so great. And it no. comes down to, well, how much can you really depend on that slider? But all I can say is he, he figured out a way to make it work because in September he had the uh, second biggest improvement in stuff plus and he just kept getting better as the year went on. I mean, he had uh, 20%. Uh, K rate from in March, April, and May. In June and July, it was 25%. Then in August, September, it was 30%. I mean, that's some massive improvement. And, and his walk rate was improving too. Well, at least it was into June and July. It like was a walk rate of three, then it was two. And then he, I think he decided if he wants to really, he was becoming a little too hittable. So he dialed it a little bit back. But I just really like, I mean, obviously his slider is the bread and butter pitch for him with a 17% swinging strike rate. It gets a decent amount of the zone at 45%. But I actually think that everyone's saying he's like a two-pitch pitcher, but his curveball was actually surprisingly decent, maybe even better than decent and might be underselling it. And I don't know so much if that started to really come out later in the year and that's what helped him get those strikeouts but i mean it had a 43 percent o swing 43 percent zone 16 percent swinging strike rate i think that's a cha-ching money pitch <laughs> money pitch look at you bringing back <laughs> yes, I money make my pitch. own sound oh man oh i i used to have that we actually have a soundboard here um but all i got is uh is africa and that's of it so there's africa. your money for africa but I, i'm uh, kind of surprised <laughs> that nick that you wouldn't be more a fan of Bradish after he recorded the 23rd best PLV and also getting a 52% ground ball rate. And I think with, Uh, with right now with Baltimore, just being such a young core and already being really great and also defensively pretty good, just another year of development with Rutschman. I mean, mm -hmm. he could get a, be a 20 game winner. Well, Ben, I got you. There it is. I love it so much. Um, so I'm not I'm not someone that's just completely slave to a PLV or something, right? I'm not going to just be, okay, whatever that says, I'm going to go with. You guys know me. Um, it is a really good way to understand, like, okay, maybe this pitch can do more than it is. Maybe it's validating its success or not. And we kind of go into why does it have that PLV or not. And that's a really fun tool for us to have. Also, with PLV, I've said it before, I'll say it again. It is a better, to me, a hitting stat than it is a pitching stat yet. Um, there are some really cool things we can do with it that we are working on now. But for player assessment, it's so much more valuable, I think, pitch by pitch for hitters to determine what they're seeing and how they're reacting to that um, for decision values, for contactability, power, etc. Um, now, with Bradish, it's so confusing. I'm really tempted to like make some calls and be like, can you please just teach Bradish how to throw his four-seamer glove side? Because he doesn't do that. 
And it drives me nuts because this isn't a four-seamer. This is a cutter. This is a 94, 95 mile per hour cutter, and that's what he needs to do with it. And when you have a cutter, you're not supposed to throw this glove uh, arm side. You're supposed to throw them inside to lefties and then down and away to righties. That's just what you do. Um, we see actually Sonny Gray utilize it this way. Sonny Gray has a cut four-seamer. It really is not your traditional one. The Yankees didn't understand that. They made him throw it upstairs, which is wrong. You don't want to do the Cannibal McSanchez anymore. That is a very rare thing to do. That is trying to get cult strikes at the top of the zone with cutters. Don't do that. Do what Gray did, which is go glove side with it consistently. And especially with the slider in the mix there for Bradish, you could really lean into it. 31% slider usage is great with Bradish. And then you can have this cutter inside of lefties and they're just donezo. Then you throw sinkers to right-handers. Then everything is great in that slider too. Also, great point about the curveball. 17% usage this past year. I think they can come up more. 66% strike rate is fantastic on it. 41% O-swing. Uh, I'm a fan of that pitch too. There is a world where this works. It's just how much faith do we have in Bradish really doing the right things with that four-seamer and sinker? That's the biggest question that I have. And I don't know. I, I really just don't know yet. The slider is one of the highest graded pitches in all of PLV. Um, I think it's like 571, which you just don't see. I remember, uh, I think it was 2021, Jacob deGrom slider was a, a 6-3 or something. That was like the highest we've ever seen. But uh, of course it was. Um, yeah, I want to like Bradish a lot. I'm actually probably going to have Bradish above Jesus Lazardo. And I wonder if he's going to make those adjustments on those fastballs. But there's still so much potential. I think you make a great point about Ali Rutschman um, as well. And just the development there being on his side. Uh, the next one is Gavin Williams. Um, in the 10th round. And actually, I should mention, ninth round Calabradish is a seal of approval to me. I don't know. Ninth round, getting a pitcher that you are not going to remove the rest of the year, I think is really good. Um, I think there are a lot of guys that would have given that to. Cole Reagan's here, I would have given it to. Probably Gilbert and Yamamoto. Uh, I just feel there is so much pitcher value that if you can ensure that you have five amazing hitters, at least, if not six, and then go 7, 8, 9, 10, and one of those, the third one there is Kyle Bradish. Yeah, that's, you're doing good. You want Kyle Bradish as your SP3 this year. That sounds great to me. Um, but Gavin Williams is your 10th round one. Uh, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on him. Well, strategically, I just sort of realized that I wanted, I wanted to have another starter. Um, but I like Williams because, and I'm not going to say what a lot of people say, oh, that it's the Indians and they're, development is so good. Well, no one's going to say that because of the Guardians, of course. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. Being in Israel has messed me up. At all. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, right, the Guardians development. Yeah. I mean, do you have the same questions that I have about the Guardians development? I mean, I, I know what you usually say, that their minor league development is really what they have the reputation for much more well, than the major league. That's why Ben Pernick is the best, has been here for 10 years. Of course, he's going to have answers like that. But what I love with Williams is that he he leads with the fastball. Yeah. And I mean, it's just a really, he can locate it well. And I mean, he, he knows that that's the bread and butter. But I, I still think that he also has 99th percentile extension courtesy of David Lorelia. It's a, you know, 16 to 18 vert. So it's it's a really wicked fastball. And from that, if he could just get like a good secondary pitch, which the slider is the front runner. Uh, I think he could really be dominant. I mean, you, we saw moments, especially towards the end of the season 
where it really looked like he was about to come into his own as an ace. And then he'd have mm-hmm. his games of inconsistency, like four walks, four strikeouts. But I just, I like to believe he kind of reminds me of like, what if Tristan McKenzie were sturdy? Yeah. Cause yeah. he's a big guy. I mean, he's six, six, 250 pounds. Like I, mm-hmm. I expect him to be a workhorse and I really, I, I know people always fawn over the glass now type pitchers, but if I'm, I usually like to get get pitchers that I, I believe can go deeper into games. And I mean, I think he'll rack up a decent amount of innings for someone with his level of experience, at least. So what's really cool about Gavin Williams is that he has one of the best extensions in the majors um, and uh, on his four seamer. And he throws 96 on that. And he has above average VAA and it's average induced vertical break but as long as he's getting that thing upstairs like he should be higher on his uh, swing strike rate on that fastball over time than the 12 percent that we already saw and that's a really good thing to have um yet the big question is okay which of these breaking balls is really going to be the one um 68 and change strike rate on the slider is good enough in my view if you can do that every single time and pair that with that fastball that's it you got it you're good i love you Gavin Williams call it a day. Unfortunately, that's not always a thing. There sometimes there are games that it's a shotgun blast. And when he's able to do it, that's why you have 12 strikeouts against the, the Jays. And that's why you have a 10 strikeouts against the Rays in the next day, right? He's four seamers just dominating while secondaries are cleaning up with, with strikes galore. But then there are games when he just can't find strikes and it's really, really painful. Uh that curveball, low location is actually there. Uh, it's about 80th percentile low lock, which is really good. But he keeps missing it east-west a ton. And it was about a 50% strike rate, 12th percentile on a curveball. You can't do that, uh, Gavin. So there needs to be some tweaking there to get that curveball over the plate. And I don't like the fact that he would be a three-pitch pitcher. However, when that curveball lands bottom and the slider is just, it's its more consistent, it's its there. I, I'm in this weird place of, I don't, I don't like going after these guys where there's a lot of command issues. Um, There isn't as much with the four-seamer. It is with the slider and curve. And the ask of turning these breaking balls into more consistent offerings is a bigger ask, especially when it's more of a shotgun blast, than it is is kind of like with, okay, cool, just like tweak this one or move this here or whatever. I don't know. It's hard. That said, I should actually mention, Curveball wasn't missing up. It was always missing down, which is good, and there might be some adjustments to be made there, but the East-West thing is kind of weird. I go back and forth on it. I want to believe in the four-seamer getting better and just being more dominant over time. So I have Gavin Williams actually, I think, currently one spot behind Bybee, and I've been going back and forth on this forever, and I still kind of want to go Gavin Williams because I just don't like Tanner Bybee's fastball. So I, I like this one more. Uh, I wish Bybee had better overall command. Okay. Um, Other guys that you passed on here, and I'm curious if there's someone that you are now thinking, you know what, I would have rather have had like Hunter Green, Tristan McKenzie, Sonny Sonny Gray, Hugh Darvish, Chris Bassett, Chris Sale went soon after. Um, Yeah, not really too many others in contention, I think. Yeah, to this one, it really kind of did feel like a bit of a cliff. I know with Gavin Williams, because he's so young, I mean, he's – just going to be in his age 24 season. Some It sort of feels like jumping and hope the net catches you in terms of hoping that his arsenal will kind of figure itself out, just betting on the 
you know, the prospect pedigree and youth. But I kind of felt like this was a decent place to shoot for upside because everybody else who was coming after him had their own question marks. So here's the thing. Your 11th round pick is an obvious seal of approval. We all know this. Um, but it's annoying because we don't like the human. Uh, and that's Marcelo Zuna. I mean, it was 40 home runs, 100 RBI, 84 runs, 274 average. Like, we know that. Yeah. Yeah. If it, if, it, if the character wasn't him, then he would be going a lot higher, I think. Um, I mean, there's, I don't know if there's so much more to say about this. It was a, such a bad April, and then he was amazing for the next five months. I think all of us are just kind of like, yeah, but he... <sighs> that's what we're doing. Yeah, but I think in the end, it's it's fantasy baseball. He's not con- getting any actual benefit for me owning him. It would be on this in this league or rostering him, maybe better to say. So I'm like, yes. okay, you know what? If, if this was a paid league and I took him, maybe I would end up donating some of the funds for towards hey, a charity. That. And that way um, I could I'm, turn I've it I've always into been this. a fan of Ellen Adair's suggestion, um, which is I... Uh, those with charges and everything against them, make sure that their future salaries go uh, a portion to uh, charities uh, helping those uh, who have been victims of it. So I think that's a great uh, idea. I, I think that's such a fantastic idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Marcelo Zunas, it's really going to vary per, per draft. We trust the skills and everything from a fantasy standpoint, but I'm going to move past that one if that's all right. Sure. Uh, Nick Castellanos, 29 home runs last year, 106 RBI, 79 runs. 11 stolen bases, 272 average. You got this in the 12th round, Ben. Yeah, I did not expect to get Castellanos. In fact, I I really kind of thought he's he's more a player I was down on. So I, mm-hmm. I was mad. I'm like, why didn't someone else take him? So now uh, I have to take him and talk about him because I just I can't let him pick. At, at this point, if you let him go, you're just not playing the game right. So, I mean, so why he, don't you like him? I think I just see signs of his approach maybe not going to work out anymore. I mean, I tried to mostly with his strike. I mean, he had a 28% K rate, a 5% walk rate. That's like not good. And you would expect sure. for someone to have as decent numbers as he had that he would like, he must be smashing the ball every time with like a really high barrel rate, but he really doesn't, you know, it's the one thing that he has managed to have throughout his career is a high line drive rate. You know, it's 25% career line drive rate, which is is pretty good. I shouldn't say it's like mm-hmm. super high, but it's it's good. But he's con- he's not so consistent. I mean, a couple of years ago, we saw him, what he looks like when he's bad, and it was ugly. But I just worry that one of these years pretty soon, he's not going to be, he's going to uh, not be able to make contact on the pitches he chases, and then things can fall apart quickly. But that said- yeah, so- so them. with uh, one thing that's really interesting about Castellanos is that his pitch hit ability, this is a new one that we have in our hitter app, uh, PLV hitter app, um, is is showing that Castellanos is in the 20th percentile of hit ability. Essentially, pitchers kind of know to give him things that he shouldn't be able to hit and he'll go feasting for it. Um, and his decision value as the season went on, he kind of got more fed up about this. And he was got really bad by the end, um, dipping down a 10th percentile and below constantly after being around, you know, league average or slightly underneath that previously. So I do understand with you the the signs of it. Um, that said, finding a guy kind of in the middle of that Phillies lineup like this, uh, he's still going to be very productive. And 
I could imagine that Castellanos' swing aggression can, you know, change and fluctuate and be tweaked a little bit. I mean, he was one of the most swing aggressive guys last year. His season average was above 90th percentile. Um, and there are those little adjustments that he could make. And he, Castellanos is still going to be in that lineup. Uh, so honestly, seal of approval here. Um, I don't know. I know it's it seems weird, but... I don't see many consistent hitters underneath here in the outfield. And you got one that you're not going to remove from your lineup likely all season. Yeah. So yeah, one thing I do love is he has over hundred over 550 plate appearances every year Yeah, in the last 10 years, every year, but 2016, nine out of 10 ain't bad. Right. And the fact that he had under six RBI, despite all the things that we're talking about right now, sure. It might come down, but he's going to get those opportunities again um, with that good Phillies offense. Um, Jake Berger's next, and uh, we're going to talk about him, Dylan Cease, Yanni Diaz, a lot more after this break. So if you were in first pitch Arizona this year, you would have seen uh, Scott Chu's rolling charts uh, presentation talking about all about these uh, PLV hitter uh, rolling charts I'm talking about here on this podcast. And the biggest example he had was Jake Berger talking about uh, how Berger's Berger showed improvement before the Marlins got him. It's not just about when he was on the Marlins moving forward. He actually had it developing for about a couple weeks before that trade happened and boy was he good when he arrived he had 34 home runs last year 80 rbi and 71 runs and ben i gotta say the beginning of this podcast you mentioned i think i can find power later and not average and speed and yeah this is confirming exactly that thank you yes i was very happy also that there was a jake burger eater trade (laughs) oh my gosh i didn't realize the eater part Oh, yeah. I mean, it's E-D-E-R, but pronounced. No, that works. I'm here for it. But I I was on (laughs) Jake Berger from early on in the year because I noticed that he he had set a new max exit velocity really early, 118 miles an hour. And it's like, whoa, that's that's going to pop some eyes. And he also had a really, (laughs) really good barrel rate. I mean, the same as Ozuna with like a 17% barrel rate, 49% hard hit. But you know, early on, yes, the, the K rate was pretty bad, but I just love how he improved. I mean, he had a 34% K rate in the first half, and then he brought it to just 22% in the second half. With yeah, and was, also uh, a 131 WRC plus in the second half because yeah. the power Homer power went down, but it was still pretty good. I mean, he had 300 with nine homers after the trade to the yeah. He had this weird uh, moment of just this big power dip. Um, but, uh, he actually got a lot of really good pitches to hit starting the second half. There was this moment that everyone was pitching around him. Then they just kind of stopped. Maybe it was that the quality of opponent. His contact ability did go up as well. Um, and decision value is generally good. Uh, so I think, you know, he's super aggressive, uh, but sometimes justified because he did get more pitches to hit than someone like Cassianos we were just talking about. Um, I think I'm going to be going after Berger too. I mean, these are really good hitters that you paired up with. And honestly, like the way I see it uh, with your draft right now, it's like, well, instead of those closers, maybe I go for a starting pitcher or so and then replace like Gavin Williams or Lazard or something with a different closer. And like, oh, my gosh, this is turning into a really good team. So, uh, yeah, Burger seal of approval. Um, Dylan Cease is your 14th round pick. Cease obviously is going to be a very uh, volatile ADP. Um, some people are going to say, look, 27% K rate. We know this. He's going to get tons of strikeouts. He's not as bad as he was last year. And he's going to be more like that 2022, which was just absurdly good. I mean, really, 220 ERA, 111 whip, 30% K rate in 2022 to fall to 458 ERA, 142 whip 
and with the same K rate, uh, sorry, same walk rate, just a lot more hits. So where, you know, what drew you to Cease here? I mean, let's be real. It's a strikeout upside. Oh, of course. It's round 14. And I I just tend to believe, I, I try to see the long, the long picture. You know, sometimes we overreact to the bad years. We also overreact to the good years. I think even though there are some signs of decline, I, I do think he's still young enough that he can at least have a 2024 that's somewhere in between. I mean, he still had an excellent 14% swinging strike rate. Uh, I do think that actually, even though he had a 448 ERA in the second half, it was a 369 FIP. So maybe some of it was so narrative driven, but maybe he wasn't so much worse in the second half compared to the first as it may have seemed. Mm-hmm. And also he kind of figured things out, at least in September, with a 31% strikeout rate and a 6% walk rate. It's, I mean, August was a nightmare, but still it's at least good that it seems like he finished the season on a positive note. Yeah, the the four-seamer to me is so strange because it has such good break upstairs, like one of the highest rising fastballs, but he doesn't get it upstairs enough. I mean, it's just, nope, he doesn't do that enough. He doesn't take advantage of it. It's uh, a tie lock was just 53rd percentile. And because of that, it was a 43% ICR. And it's not the worst ICR I've ever seen. Like it's 46th percentile. Um, But he's not taking advantage of the qualities of this pitch. And 10% swing strike rate is just kind of like, wait, huh? Uh, It's it's very odd. Um, He doesn't get a ton of extension. Doesn't have a really good VAA. It's really about that 95, 96. And then, um, uh, and then of course that, that break on it. And the slider. I mean, I think the biggest difference from this year and last year, that is uh, 2022 versus 2023, uh, the slider strike rate dropped five points. And you think that's not really that big of a deal. Well, it is because that means he has to give in more with the fastball in counts. Um, And that is why the hit per nine went up a ton. Um, The curveball was pretty much the same old thing that it was before. Um, It's really, to me, the uh, the fastball having to do more than it can, unfortunately. Um, so it, it's just and that's just really it. Uh, it was more uh, hittable inside the zone. Uh, o contact, sorry, Z contact went up for Dylan Cease's fastball. And the question is like, okay, so is Dylan Cease's slider going to return to its ridiculousness of 2022? It's possible. That was a 65% strike rate. He never had above. 62% uh, 2020, 21, and 23. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's not a bad gamble. 14th round. Like, I'm looking at other ones. Christian Javier, Mason Miller, Nick Lodolo. I like Bailey Ober a ton. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Nestor Cortez. It might also be something where you don't really have an answer in season. And that's going to be annoying. So, uh, be ready to deal with that. Um, Yanir Diaz, 15th round. Catchers are so interesting because in hours, like, no one went. And this in yours, your mock draft catchers are more aggressive, but there are, are like 15 or so that are worthwhile. And because of that, um, I think in ours, people just kind of moved on. I went for Real Muto and regretted it uh, just because I thought like, oh, I had to because catcher is a catcher thing. And like, wait, hold on a second. There are so many. So Yanner Diaz in the 15th round, you don't have Dusty Baker holding him back anymore. Are you excited about Diaz for 2024? I am super excited for Diaz. Super excited. 
Yeah, I think that as far as everyone's looking at the catcher pool, they're seeing, oh, well, there's like a lot of like 20 possible, like 15 to 20 homer, 230 catchers. But Yiner, I think, is the one guy out of all the catchers who really has the ability to be like a 330 homer bat. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had a 287 X average. That was like 19th best in baseball. And it, it just got better because in the first few months, I mean, he was really like a backup and scuffling when he did play. He was doing nothing. And he's still just 25. But in the second half, I mean, he hit 294 with 21 home runs in just 309 plate appearances, 293 at-bats because he never draws a walk. That That is the mm-hmm. one thing that does make it a, a little hair-raising. But still, even with that said, uh, StatCast believes in him. His 33% IPA was the sixth best in the MLB. And the mm-hmm. 33% hard contact, also not bad. And I love every year I do an article uh, based on a, a stat cast metric called player similarity. And it's it's just a fun tool to see who they compare to based on their batted ball profile. Not counting speed is a big caveat with some other ones, but some of his comps include Witt Jr. There's O'Hearn, Mountcastle, Devers, Riley, Harris, Vlad, J-Rod, Tatis. So if he can actually manage to keep his strikeout rate pretty low, like 20% like this year. And if he could get better against righties, cause his 65 WRC plus was not good, but he also it's, it's a rookie. I, I give leeway to rookies against lefties cause sometimes they just need more plate appearances. And now well, the best thing, Maldonado has gone. Yeah. The contact ability and the power are both actually fantastic. Um, it's certainly with the contact ability later in the year because his strike zone judgment got better halfway through. I mean, it was really below average. We're talking like fifth percentile or something. And then uh, closer to about 40th percentile um, in the second half. And you can really see there was just a massive boom for him uh, halfway through, which is a huge deal. But the swing aggression is just laughable. Um, I mean, season average was like 13 percent more than expected. And the 90th percentile is like at 7 percent. Uh, so <laughs> that is just in- insanity and like MLB average is zero percent. Right. So he's another standard deviation above, um, you know, more than the 90th percentile, which is hilarious. Uh, so that's the kind of thing that Diaz kind of needs to fix is he can hit, he can hit anything. He now needs to really be more selective and, re- and that doesn't mean just take pitches. It means, Hey, what are these pitches that I can do the most damage with and be okay for a walk? Um, so I actually, like that a bit if you have a high contact ability and uh and power it allows you to get past the decision value a little bit um so that you can essentially be like cool if i just like kind of wait a little bit more um and i think you can develop that as you go on um if you have the ability to see ball hit ball that's great there, there are things you can teach but if you can't make contact regardless then that's just oh boy so i'm a, i'm really encouraged by this um 15th round I'm kind of seeing what else is out there at the moment and I don't know if I need to, but yeah, this is almost a seal of approval too. I mean, I, I, you're really hyping me up on this, especially with, um, with Dusty Baker gone, he's going to go more than a 377 appearances next year in that good offense too. Yeah. I know Diaz is a beautiful, beautiful pick here in the 15th round. I'm a fan. Uh, Nathan Evaldi is next and Evaldi obviously, did amazing things for the Rangers um, in the postseason. Uh, really figured it out. It, uh, he's maddening. We know this. 
He threw hard and then he got hurt and was low velocity in 2022. We didn't know what we we're going to see. He was throwing hard enough at the beginning of 2023. Looked unreal. Had these amazing stretches that we knew weren't going to last, but it was pretty cool. And then he got hurt again and the velocity was down from like 96 to 94 and 93 and change. And it was terrifying. And then he finally went in the IL and he came back and he was still at 94. And then the playoffs shows up and he hits like 97. And I go, what is what is this? How did this happen? And the way I see it is just, you know what? That was a burst for the playoffs. And I do not have faith that Eovaldi is going to throw 144 innings this year, let alone at a 363 ERA, 114 whip, 23% carry. But prove me wrong, Ben Pernick, as he went for Eovaldi in the 16th round. Well, I'm not so not so sure I'll prove you wrong, but I think one thing that I needed with Eovaldi, one thing that I've always liked about him is that he does usually have a pretty good whip. And that is something that my team really needed here after going with some of these uh, guys like Gavin Williams with some control issues. Uh, and I do think that said, this year his walk rate did jump uh, to nearly three after several years where it was in the below two yeah, walks for nine you're saying yes doubling the uh the the percent from about four percent to eight percent yeah but i still love that he has ground balls i also with a 52 percent ground ball rate he still has good, good swinging strike rates at 13 percent. but some of this is also as boring as it sounds just betting on the team they just won the world series now they have evan carter and they have wyatt langford on the way with josh josh young another year of experience I just think it's uh, not to mention Jonah Heim behind the plate. I think uh, some he can kind of get carried by his team a little bit. And even if he's like an undeserving 15 plus game winner, as long as all he really needs to do is stay healthy. And at one point I didn't think he could, but now he's proved that he could. So it's just comes down to he's a bit of a wild card. Yeah, his splitter is really the answer for his success this past year, which makes sense. When you have lower velocity, you throw more of your secondaries. And its ICR dropped massively, 32% on that splitter from like 40% in previous years as he used it more at uh, 27 per, or actually 28% from 20%, which is by far a career high. Um, and we saw that in the playoffs too. Maybe that's who he is now. Maybe he's just kind of a Kevin Gosman type in that way. Uh, lots of... Yeah, I mean, 64% strike rate as opposed to the 72 on the four-seamer that we saw before. So he was being more selective and, and careful, I think, um, with that fastball, not leading early with it. And only a 52% early percentage on that four-seamer, which is 15th percentile. And that essentially means in the first, um, before you get to two anything, that is two strikes or two balls, are you throwing a fastball or not? He used to throw in like 60%, and now it's 52. That's actually a huge deal. Um, leading more on cutters in that time. Um, and curveballs and splitters. So uh, maybe it works at the lower velocity. Uh, 16th round is not a bad gamble on that. Uh, you'll see it out of the gate. And if it's not there, then it's not there. There are a lot of interesting pitchers as well. Brian Bayo, uh, you have uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, Lucas Ulito, Ryan Pepio, John Means also going around here. But yeah, I totally, I I'm, think I'm with you to go for Nathan Yavaldi here. Um, Nestor Cortez went earlier on in the round, and that's a very interesting one too. But I might be sold now about Ivaldi utilizing those secondaries more and fewer four-seamers and those coming through for him a bit more early in counts. So uh, maybe, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm cool in the 16th round. You're not really, the prove me wrong thing was way too incendiary. I apologize, but <laughs> uh, but yeah, I like the pick. Um, Justin Turner in the 17th round as we have about seven to go here. 
Uh, tell me about Justin Turner. Well, he hit 276, 23 homers, 86 runs, 96 RBIs, and four stolen bases in his age 38 season. I think that's just kind of hilarious that he still can steal four bases. I mean, he has ninth huh. percentile sprint speed, but he was still, in the end, he was the ninth best third baseman, according to Rasball and uh, the player Raider. And, you know, we're ageist, as a, but we're not consistently ageist. You know, like if you're actually, sometimes I say it's okay to be in, in fantasy baseball, but you really need to look for signs of decline and he actually had a 91% z contact that's his best since 2013 second mm-hmm. best in the last decade i mean everything about his plate discipline held steady and he's still in the heart of the lineup so he might not be an exciting pick but as long as he it really all comes down to health but if he can stay healthy i think he's a, a pretty solid bet as they come for 270 20 homers and lots of runs produced which well, I think is a, a pretty good uh, in the 17th round. That's that's some pretty good value. Back for you. Uh, he's a free agent. In this past year, he spent a lot of time in the middle of that Red Sox lineup, mm. um, being the three-hitter than two-hitter as well. I don't think that he's going to sign with a team and be that highly slotted in the lineup, which is going to obviously knock down the runs in RBI. He also did decline a little bit as the season went on. Uh, the contact ability absolutely was still good, but the power went down a little bit. The uh, decision value went way down as the season continued to go on. Um, you see the uh, the swing aggression is still passive, which is fine, but it's, I just, I don't know. I, I kind of see someone as trying to, to shore it up a little bit as he gets with age and to get more contact and get out in front a little bit more. Um, and that should sap power over time. Uh, to keep up, but maybe not. I mean, maybe that's just stupid uh, hitting analysis. The very least, where he will be in the lineup was a very big um, indicator of that success this past year. And I'm curious where he's going to be uh, signing uh, at 39, as you said, as he turned 39 at the end of November. Um, Jose Leclerc, an 18th round, is your third closer. You're like, oh no, I got to get back into this. And Leclerc obviously was the guy for the Rangers. You might have two guys of the same team, though, Ben. Um, by the time that you're listening to this, it's possible that Josh Hader is signed somewhere and the Rangers look like a good fit for him. Yeah, that definitely is a possibility. And I'll admit that I didn't, with Turner too, I wasn't paying so much attention to the free agency, which definitely would have would have helped. However, I, I do think, I think there's this idea that Leclerc is in like, a back-end closer option and that you look at his season stats, he really wasn't that great. I mean, 268 ERA is fine, 114 whip, 67 Ks in 57 innings. But the thing with Leclerc is now now it's come out that he wasn't feeling so good. Not like he was sick, but his neck was still bothering him early on in the year coming out of spring training. And he improved as the season went on. His four-seam fastball averaged 94 in April and by September it was up to uh, 97. So, and you can see from his stats that he had a K K minus BB of 12% in the first half, 21% in the second half. And he also has a pretty fun, deep arsenal for a closer. So that's, that's one of the things I like about him. He's not just like a two pitch closer. It's really more of like a four pitch arsenal. So I think that the, you know, he has the fastball and cutter to pound the zone but then he has his secondaries to try to draw more of those swinging strikes. So yeah, and he had 94th percentile swing strike rate because everything misses bats. Changeup does 18%, uh, 15% on the cutter, 
23 on the slider and also 14 on the four seamer. All those swing strike rates are fantastic for the clerk. Um, I get it. I it's just really a question of, I mean, it's the 18th round. You're taking a chance here. Maybe he doesn't sign uh, a hater doesn't sign with the Rangers. And there you go. There's your guy. Um, there is some concern about how much he was used in the World Series. I think you drafted this before the World Series happened. I don't know. I did, yeah. um, so in retrospect, uh, there may be some points uh, docked against him. But then again, it was 57 innings in season. So um, it's possible just kind of the normal workload. Um We'll see. Uh, Leclerc, though, I mean, I mean, among the other options here, yeah, really not many others. So solid uh, flyer there for the closer spot um, in Texas out of camp. Um, Emmett Sheehan is next. I talked about Emmett Sheehan actually this past week with um, with Eric Samolsky on, on the corner. I am actually on the side of liking Sheehan more than Pepio at this moment. Do you feel the same way? I think I do. The more I looked into him, the more I found to like. I mean, he just has really good swinging strike rate with a 10, 10% on his fastball, but then Sheehan has a 20% swinging strike rate on the slider and 22 swinging strike rate uh, on the changeup. And I think when you look at his um, hard hit rates, like it's just kind of funny that he had like a 186 expected batting average, which is 98th percentile, but he had very bad hard hit rate and barrel rate. But again, this was a pretty small sample he just turned 24. So I just see that it's the Dodgers. He has a, a live fastball and two potent secondaries. And I just kind of believe in the organization too. And and the fact that he, I believe he is going to pitch a lot uh, because the team needs him. So mm. I think he'll rack up a decent amount of innings and uh he, he might not develop into like an ace-ace like Bobby Miller, but he could be a, a solid number two. Yeah, so when Emmett Sheen returned in September, he really did start to get the whiffs on that slider. Um, you see those marks on it, and it wasn't a 20% swing strike rate plus pitch before. It just wasn't that. Um, then turned into that in September, which was way, way better. Same kind of thing with the changeup. It wasn't um, as drastic, but still very much so of uh, just... The great starts with his changeup were more so in that September run uh, where he started uh, four of the five games that he was in. Um, so Emmett Sheehan, I do have some concerns about how much he's going to be used. The Dodgers right now, um, at the time of us recording this, really have why they have Bueller, they have Bobby Miller and Papio essentially as their one, two, three. I imagine that there's going to be at least one other guy in there. Has to be. Um and uh, at least a free agent signing somehow. I think two. It's even came come out about like Kershaw just not being able to pitch. Uh, I believe until uh, August. And actually, I completely blinked on on the OTC with Eric. I uh, I apologize in advance. I uh, <laughs> it's not out yet. I could go back and edit it. I won't for you guys. So I'm happy you listened to both these podcasts and now you get the full picture. We totally blinked that that news came out since I wrote about it. Anyway, I. Uh, the Dodgers got to pursue at least one guy. I think they're going to do two. Their whole MO has always been depth, depth, depth. And they've really got burned on that, I think, this year. Uh, I would imagine Pepio and Sheehan are fighting for the fifth, if not even fighting for the sixth. So I don't know if Sheehan's going to get it out of the gate. I think the Dodgers feel better about Pepio. That said, I would like to take a chance on Sheehan and see if uh, where they're going to go um, early on. 
it's very interesting. So much break on the four seamer. Like it's induced up, but also arm side, it moves a lot. Um, it's kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, bet on the team. That's what you're saying with the Rangers. It's what you're saying with the Dodgers. I think that's a good call and a great flyer pick in the 19th round. I uh, I want to give a seal of approval. It's just I just found myself loving Edward Cabrera a lot. So I'm sorry. I'll give it to you. Uh, four to go. Um, and uh, I oh absolutely your last pick is 100% seal of approval and also this 20th round. So. Nelson Velasquez, I love this. I actually went through and found guys that had massive power and uh, decision values. And the only problem was contactability. And seeing that like Aaron Judge is one of those. Um, So who could be that Aaron Judge type? Nelson Velasquez is one of them with absurd power numbers. And I imagine that's what drew you to him here. It is, yeah. Uh, Velasquez, he was someone I actually managed to get in every single league that I won. And... Uh, part of why I, I really love him is the, the barrels. It's not just power. You know, sometimes people have the, that kind of like that cheap power, but I mean, t- especially to do it while on the Royals, because when you look at the top barrels per plate appearance in the league, number one, Aaron Judge, number two, Velasquez, and then Otani and Jordan. I mean, that's crazy. It's, of course, a small sample, but 17 homers in 179 plate appearances. I mean, that's insane. If that was 600 plate appearances, and I know this is irresponsible extrapolation, and I don't care, but that would be 57 homers. Uh, Now, the question is, how sustainable is this barrel rate? I mean, he had like a decent barrel rate when he made his debut in 2022, and his max exit velocity of 111 does make me skeptical that it's going to repeat being that high. But I do think, aside from max exit velocity, barreling itself is a skill, and if you've shown it, you own it. So I still think that he can enter this year hitting 30 to 35 home runs easily. I mean, this kind of... Kind of reminds me of Nelson Cruz, except with uh, you can't really trust the uh, the speed as much. But he also like he didn't steal at all this year, but he did steal nine bases in the minors, five stolen bases last year. So would it be the craziest thing to see a 250, 35 homer, 10 stolen base season? I don't think so. And just to finish off with to go with my player similarity thing, his top yeah. comps is a weird mix of Otani, Jiman Choi, but then Berger, Ozuna, and Jordan. So one of those things is not like the others. <laughs> but four out of five chance, he should be a very good player to own, especially in the 20th round if you need power late. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Nelson Velasquez taking a chance on, you know, a lot of these young teams who have guys that uh, just expect the offense to be better in their second year on the team. And I do think that the Royals did show some life in September last year, and uh, they should be a little bit better uh, in 2024. Um, we have Tommy Pham up next. I feel like Tommy Pham every year has always been considered a sleeper, and he just kind of quietly does decent things 16 home runs and 22 stolen bases last year for your teams 481 plate appearances that's why the counting stats are a little bit lower on the runs in rbi just about a 260 average Uh, how do you feel about fam here is this enough to keep him rostered instead of chasing something in april i really think it is i love fam i know i i jumped what his current adp that i think is around the 280s but 
it's because I, I really believe in him and that he, he suffered from some bad luck. If you go to like the stat cast sliders, look at him and Tommy Pham, or sorry, look at Tommy Pham and Christian Yellick side to side. It's really actually out of 10 out of the 11 hitting categories, Pham is better than Yellick. The only one that Yellich has better is his walk rate. But if you look at the hard hit rate, everything is in, in the red. Why would you look at the StackCast pages when you can do this on... On, on the pitcher list, list page is even better. <laughs> I don't understand, Ben. Why would you do that? <laughs> because you're anachronistic. 31st in hard contact rate, 26th in X average, uh, our X average, of course, for Tommy Pham. When it comes to his ICR, uh, the thing I keep talking about, about the, when contact is made, is it good for him? He is 79th percentile. His IPA is 82nd percentile. His average exit velocity is 94th percentile. I understand all the things that you're saying here about Tommy Pham. Yeah. And even though he's not as fast as Yelich, you know, he had 22 stolen bases with three stolen uh, or three caught stealings. Like he still has the the smarts. So it's another one of those cases of no one wants the old guy. He seems boring, but I just try to find those guys who maybe people are are judging them unfairly and irrationally so i I was pretty happy with that to kind of balance out the more risky pick of velasquez beforehand right uh so like the other guys we mentioned uh it's another free agent and this free agent was batting third for the diamondbacks a lot this year in the second half was kind of pinch hitting doing some other things for for pittsburgh uh you know for for the diamondbacks i should say i'm sorry um but uh or maybe the mets is what i'm thinking of um, and then he found a stable spot with the Diamondbacks. Um, so I do wonder where he's going to land and that will affect him. But yeah, I see exactly what you're saying. Hopefully you do hit some lightning in the bottle early on. You have Alec Bohm next and Bohm 97 RBI, 20 home runs, 74, uh, runs here. He was batting fourth for the, uh, for the Phillies by the end of the year, sometimes batted second as well, midway through, um, it was five and seven early on, but he earned his way into that lineup. And that might be very encouraging for next season. Yeah, I must say seeing him, I I didn't realize he was available this late. And I mean, his ADP and NFBC is 159 and here it's pick 262. So I would say I was befuddled, even bone boozled. Oh boy, (laughs) here it is. (laughs) But yeah, he he was, he was great. He had 274 with 20 homers. And everyone says, oh, he's boring. He's like a Toby of hitters. But I, I really think that's one of those. Everyone we we reach that. our conclusion. At, first of all, I don't believe in the idea of a Toby of hitters. Yes, I think of course. Absolutely. It's the same equivalent of just like it's boring and you're not excited, but like you don't find anything else that's better to replace him on the waiver wire. But, but in this case, I, I think that people are not paying enough attention to the fact that, I mean, he had a 30% IPA, a 32% hard hit. And a 294 X average. I mean, that's that's exciting. I mean, maybe the power isn't quite up there, but honestly, I think that this could be a lot better than the Justin Turner pick that I made several rounds earlier because he just he raised his launch angle for the fourth straight year. You know, his his contact is consistently improved. It's now 91% Z contact, 84% contact, and his 12. Per, um, his CSW was the 12th best among qualified hitters. I mean, he's yeah, he was, well, that's because hitter. he's aggressive, right? So CSW being low um, for a uh, for a batter essentially says like I'm not going to allow any called strikes get past me. True. And if but, I have a lot of if I have low swing strike rate and you have a high swing aggression like you do 
with Bohm, it's just not going to have those longer plate appearances to have a higher CSW, which is why the 15% strikeout rate exists and why it's a very low uh, walk rate as well, which honestly for fantasy, I love having a low K plus walk rate for a hitter because that means you have more balls in play, which means you have more opportunities for RBI and exactly. home runs. And uh, also ground outs could be runs because it could mean that someone else is on base and you get on first base and score a run. So it's good to put things in play for fantasy purposes. Walk rates are can be nice for OBP and runs and some bases and whatnot. However, uh, if that's you know if you're not hitting the ball enough, then you're not hitting the ball enough. Um, so Bohm, I understand here, and again, he should be in a good spot in the lineup. So you have a decent RBI producer. I dig this pick as well. Last one is Reese Olson. And Reese Olsen is a seal of approval for me because I just literally this morning went over him for uh, for the Detroit Tigers starting pitcher uh, review. And I want to hear first from you what you enjoy about Reese Olsen. Uh, well, for one, I just enjoy from the storyline aspect of it. He started hot, then he hit some struggles, and then he kind of figured things out and finished the season strong. And for a young pitcher, I, I really love to see that they already overcame their first obstacles and were, were able to make the necessary adjustments. But I also love that, you know, his fastball is not anything special. You know, it's 92 to 95, but hits it does hit 97 and hitters only hit 165 against it. But it's really like, I just love his whole arsenal and how it comes together. I mean, he also has like a sinker. His slider is the, the bread and butter. I mean, that's his, his best pitch. Uh, but, but also he has a sinker that induces 56% ground balls. Like he has a, even he has a curveball That's a, a pretty good fifth pitch with a 13% swing strike rate. Uh, he, he does right now struggle with a third time through the order, like lots of young pitchers with a 646 ERA. But I do love that the curve gives him a third velocity band, um, in addition to his slider, which is he throws more than any other pitch and also his changeup. So I, I just see the makings of if he can keep his control in check, which this year he managed, and and also if he has a rotation spot now that Maeda is there, and I think he has the leg up on Gibson Long for the last I spot. I think that he can really be like a a solid mid rotation starter with a good K rate, just using all of his pitches to kind of yeah. like. Out, outdo what probably people expect based on the raw stuff. Definitely. Um, for my more detailed thing on results, and definitely check out the article on the site if you have PL Pro or listen to the Plus Pitch podcast. But in short, slider is filthy. Changeup is filthy if he has that actually located well. Biggest question is going to be is what's he going to do with the four-seamer because that's just not a good pitch and the sinker has got to be jammed inside more to right-handers. But man, it's such a good slider. Uh, it's a solid defense behind him too. I think the Tigers are going to win more games than they did last year better offense i think as they grow as a team so reese olsen to me is a very intriguing arm of potentially good uh strikeout rates only an eight percent walk rate is very interesting it's just about really containing that four seamer making sure that that doesn't lead to too much punishment and throwing enough strikes really with that change up but um but that's it that's your team seal approval there 23 players i uh, how would you rate it on a scale of one to 23 i would say a 17. I wasn't really happy with my early picks mm-hmm. um, outside of like Acuna Alonso, but I think I made up for it 
uh, in my later picks where I felt like I kind of got on a roll there. Nice. Um, yeah, I think you did a really good job. You're making me really open my eyes to, uh, I feel like I need to do some mock drafts where I do go aggressive on just pitching early and then just rely on hitters later and see how that works out. Cause I've, I've always been on the weight I'm pitching kind of thing just because of my style and I don't want to deal with hitters in season, but, uh, there might be some really nice things to do there. And I actually have a, uh, my final article about like my, um, fantasy baseball guide might have strategies for each, you know, for each situation. This is what a te- team might look like. So, um, but, uh, but all right, that is it for today. Ben Pernick, remind everybody where they can find you, um, to get all your stuff. Well, you can find me on Pitcher List uh, every week doing my buy and sell article. And uh, you can also find me uh, just making bad puns uh, (laughs) anytime I'm on a podcast with Nick. There you go. Um, But that is it for today. So on the behalf of uh, Ben Pernick, my name is Nick Pollock, and we'll talk to you guys next week.